Every Genesis is a reminder to try something new, to keep growing, keep hustling, keep beginning. At Genesis, they harness that mindset into their performance SUV, the GV70. Turn heads with a stunning design inside and out. Discover intuitive technology inside the GV70 with a 14.5-inch infotainment system. The Genesis GV70 is for those who are making their mark on the world and want to enjoy luxurious amenities while they do it. So go on and enjoy an exhilarating drive in the GV70. Your Genesis GV70 is waiting for you. Learn more at Genesis.com. Genesis, keep beginning. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Zoe, and you're listening to Climbing in Heels. This show is all about celebrating the most extraordinary superwomen who will be sharing their incredible journeys to the top, all while staying glamorous. Today, we're going to switch things up again. And instead of interviewing a guest about their career, I figured we'd jump back in and talk a bit more about my journey, my personal journey. Well, my personal and career journey. If you're listening to this and haven't heard part one, I would definitely suggest going back to give that a listen so you have more insight into my early career and where we left off. So without further ado, here is myself and my producer, Mary Elizabeth, with part two of Becoming Rachel Zoe. It is a long journey, I can tell you. And thank you for taking interest in it. So many of you listened to the first one. So I appreciate it. So part two, Becoming Rachel Zoe. Oh God. Just to remind everyone where we left off in part one, we left off. Wait, can I say something? Yeah. You just said that Becoming Rachel Zoe. And the funniest thing is that the first piece ever written about me publicly when I was, I don't know, 20 something living in New York in one of my first apartments, I believe it was for Women's Wear Daily. And it was the cover and the headline was Becoming Rachel Rosenzweig. Oh, that's so funny. My maiden name. Yeah. Well, um, we actually did talk about that part one too, how you dropped. We did. Your agent was like, oh. drop the name and you did. When you just said becoming and I was like, yeah. wow, that's wild. That's our title for these. Yep. So we're on part two. Yes. With a cold. We both are a little <laughs> schnooey, as yep. Rachel says. Yep. Also, full disclosure, we love doing these. You guys obviously love listening to these, which is exciting. But Rachel goes on spring break with her kids next week also. Yes. <laughs> so we're multitasking here yes. at Rachel Zoe Inc. Yep. Like we always do. Yep. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. So where we left off is you made the decision to move your life and career to Los Angeles. Yep. We found out that you started working with the lovely Nicole King Salaka. Yep. And she introed you to a budding young television star yep. named Jennifer Garner. Yep. You may have heard of her. And you <laughs> were tasked with styling Jen for the Emmy Awards. Yep. Her dress fell through. So it was a bit of a 911. It was like a few days before. And it was a beautiful burnt orange. No, this was, was that the, the Emmys. Or no, what was that? this was the very first time I styled someone like Jen for the red carpet. And it was a white, like an ivory halter, Narciso Rodriguez dress. Ooh, beautiful. beautiful, really simple, but beautiful. She looked like an angel. I kind of pulled it together pretty quickly. And I think we did like beautiful jewelry with it. 
And it was just one of those things. I was so incredibly nervous because I was like, if I don't crush this, I'm not going to get another chance. You know, and I cut, to be honest, I really approached pretty much every styling job I did with that sort of mindset. If I don't do the best job on this, I'm done. You're replaceable. I'm replaceable. Well, you are. You are replaceable. That's true. It's not a bad mentality. I don't think. No, it works for me. A little, a lot of us are a little fear motivated. Yeah. Um, So was that your first actual red carpet styling? Or coming from a heavily musician background, Mm -hmm. certainly I'm sure you like VMAs or Grammy or any of that prior to this? Yeah. Well, I think what happened was I was working a lot in fashion, right? So I was working with a lot of models and a lot of fashion photographers. I was shooting a lot in South Beach, Miami, as we did in that day, everything was shot in South Beach. And I worked a lot with Backstreet and Enrique and a lot of the pop stars. And to me, that was a very different world than Hollywood. Right. And it is now, but I would say it's definitely a little more merged, Merged, I would say. But I think in the, in, in that time they were very separate. So I think I did my very, very first red carpet dressing in Hollywood was an actress named Toni Collette. Oh, who wore Versace, an incredible black Versace. She wanted very simple, but I was like, okay, but we still have to be glamorous. And an actress named Julie Delpy, a French actress named Julie Delpy. I put her in one of my favorite dresses still to this day, an ivory Azaro with some incredible jewelry. She looked stunning. And then the Jennifer Garner moment to me, I think was the very first really like I had moved to LA at the, you know, with the other two, I was still in New York and still working a lot of music. And I think Jennifer was my first like really big public moment at an award show where she was such a, a dart, like she was just so adored, right. still is adored. And I was just very nervous. You know, I was just, I was incredibly nervous. And it was a big breakout moment for her. I'm it, sure. it was. And for you. It's it, interesting how that parallels. Well, that's the thing. I always say that to her because we're, we're really good friends now. Like we kind of talk about that, like what those days were, you know, and she was living in this like great bungalow and we used to hang out. She had dog, she had a big dog and we had a lot of like girl time, like me, Jen and Nicole were Everyone's super close. Nervous. <laughs> Everyone, you know, yeah. for me, I mean, I was definitely nervous and there was a lot of fun like made of me because I think Jen is, well, first of all, she's like a stand up comedian, just, just being Jen. So I think like everything she said made every situation fun and funny because I think she knew I was nervous and she knew how seriously I took my job. And I think for Jen, fashion is not something she really does take so seriously. I think it's like part of her job. Right. And so she really empowered me to kind of do my thing, but she would also make fun of me because there was like this beautiful way that she stood in fittings, like a swan, like a dancer. And she used to be like, you want me to do the swan stance, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she would do it, but still with like a funny face. So anyway, yes, that was, that was a big moment. And thankfully very well received. And right. then that went on to create the one-shouldered Valentino set 1971, Carl one-shouldered Valentino. Gorgeous. That we were both kind of scared, like, cause it was on a hanger and it looked weird and it was folded over because it's a one shoulder. So it couldn't like hang properly. Sure. And Jen was like, I don't really do that color. And I definitely don't do one shoulders. And I was like, okay, but can we try it? And then she put it on and we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, <gasps> and she was like, 
oh my God, it's the prettiest dress I've ever seen. I was Stunning. like dead. And then it, of course it rained. So we had to like lift the thing and there was puddles. And I mean, the whole thing. I, I feel like every, just as you do have a bit of a rain carpet curse. I, I, I can't, must say. I can't. How did your day to day as a stylist change from New York to LA? You mentioned you were doing a lot of yeah. models, editorial mm-hmm. in New York. When you came to LA, were you just doing essentially event dressing or were you still working on models for campaigns or how did that No, it really shifted. It really shifted. And I think once I started doing Jen, it was sort of this, a bit of a domino kind of thing. Like it was just very word of mouth. Like I started working with Cameron Diaz when she was doing Shrek and then with Kate when she was doing Almost Famous and then with Salma Hayek and, you know, Pierce Brosnan and then Brittany Murphy, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. And a lot of actor, I mean, Kara Knightley, who just beyond, you know, and she would like fly in from shooting a film and like come in the night before the Oscars. And I would have literally like two hours to fit her. And if that didn't work, I was like, okay, the Oscars were the next day. So like, what do we do? And just for the (laughs) listeners, I think when you say you were working with X, Y, or Z. Like, let's take uh, Cameron, for instance, for Shrek. You mean you were styling Cameron for every appearance she had to do associated with the film? Yeah, so- um, Late night shows or daytime shows or world premieres. When you see um, an actress or a singer or someone who's very much in the public eye, I mean, 99% of the time, they have a stylist and a hair and makeup person. And it's one of those things where like they're on tour, you're on tour. You do multiple fittings, you set looks, you go with them or an assistant goes with them. In those days, I went everywhere with all my clients until I couldn't. Right. There's only one of her, yes. shockingly. Yes. They had like late night talk shows, morning talk shows, radio show, not radio shows. They would have to travel, right? There would press be mul- junket press junkets, or, multiple right. premieres. You would camp out at a hotel all day and change them five times. You go literally around the world. I mean, the, the big movies, literally like in the days of Shrek and stuff. I mean, there was multiple premieres around the world, like a lot of the Marvel movies and things like that, that premiere like in Tokyo and in London and Spain. And there was those incredible moments where like, it's a little bit like camp. You're traveling with like the team, you know, you're with the publicist, you're with the manager, you're with the client, you're with the hair and makeup, you're with the, you know, right. and you all become this like really great family together. And then when the tour ends, sometimes it's like really sad. You like, you get a little like let down afterwards. Like um, leaving summer camp. Yeah. It's like leaving summer camp. <laughs> or and vacation I, friends. <laughs> well, it's also like that. I think when they film the movies, you know, they get like that as well. But I think it definitely changed for me when I moved to LA and it was very different styling in New York and LA. Styling in New York was like a grind. Like there's blizzards and like, right. you know, and seven floor walk-ups and you can't get a taxi. There was no Ubers. There was no <laughs> right. reserving cars. I mean, you could, but it was a fortune. So like sure. who, who could afford that? And schlepping, like, you know, when I was doing, you know, Backstreet and Brittany, I mean, I had like a hundred garment bags. I mean, it was like crazy. And you have to use messengers, which are so expensive. So it's very, labor intensive in New York and very weather, 
it's very hard, very challenging. And in LA, it's like very conducive to styling. I remember when I started working here and I was like, oh God, they don't know how good they have it here. <laughs> you can like throw stuff in it's your trunk. Walk. Yeah. Like you could put a coat in the trunk for when it gets cold. You could like right. keep food in there when you're hungry. Like you could literally drive a car with your stuff in it. You know, you have your assistant like with you. You know, it's like it was, it felt a lot more civilized here. And I think no matter how hard I was working, it just felt more civilized right? as a stylist totally. here. It just did. I don't know why, but it just did. Don't get me wrong. I was doing like music videos that were like night shoots. You know, you start shooting at 10 PM, you shoot till 6 AM, then you have to sleep for a few hours, then go back to set. So yeah. that was actually crazy. So we know about these very public red carpet styling moments that you're working on and like you mentioned, it's a ripple effect. Thankfully, word of mouth traveled and mm -hmm. you started picking up more and more clients for these. But I want you to talk about how you were styling these it girls of the moments, not for technically carpet moments, but for lifestyle moments, right? Like yeah. you were working with at one point, Lindsay Lohan, <laughs> Nicole Richie. Yep. And you were actually gaining notoriety because you were essentially styling them for life every day. Yeah. To remind everyone, this was in the culture of no social media yet. Mm -hmm. Paparazzi was intense for these in Hollywood and New York and everywhere. Yep. So what was that like? How does that work where you go... I'm going to pull together street mm -hmm. style looks mm -hmm. for you as opposed to this major premiere or mm -hmm. how did that work? So it's a couple of things. So what ultimately ended up happening is, you know, a lot of my clients became friends. It's a very, very intimate relationship and I am very protective and I'm very, um, I care a lot, sometimes too much about them personally and also about their sort of like, if you're going to work this hard to put out this image of this Hollywood movie star kind of persona, then why are you like rolling around in basically pajamas <laughs> right. like during the day? Because the paparazzi at that point was so out of control yeah. that a lot of these actors and, you know, just kind of pop culture icons. Sure. It girls, um, we'll it, say. it girls yeah. were being photographed while going to Coffee Bean or like going to lunch or whatever it was, or going shopping. to the gym, shopping, whatever it was. So what would happen is I would be like, I would have them at my studio for fittings and I'd be like, you should just wear this to like go to dinner. Right. This is so cute. You should just wear this for coffee. I don't know. Just life. Just you. This is so cute. It has to have a moment. Just wear it. Every Genesis is a reminder to try something new, to keep growing, keep hustling, keep beginning. At Genesis, they harness that mindset into their performance SUV, the GV70. Discover intuitive technology inside the GV70 with a 14.5-inch infotainment system. The Genesis GV70 is for those who are making their mark on the world and want to enjoy luxurious amenities while they do it. I used to dread driving around LA because of the traffic, the stop and go, the blaring sun, always getting directly into my eyes, no matter what time of day it is. But thanks to Genesis, driving around here isn't too bad, especially when I'm driving in style. Turn heads with the stunning design of the GV70 inside and out. The GV70 features the silhouette of a coupe and the capability of an SUV. So go on and enjoy an exhilarating drive in the GV70. Your Genesis GV70 is waiting for you. Learn more at genesis.com. 
Genesis. Keep beginning. Welcome back to Currently with Curator, where I share my latest style obsessions, all of which you can access through my shopping community, Curator. I'm all about starting your year off with little luxuries to elevate your everyday. So I stocked our curated e-storefront with trendy accessories, chic home furnishings, and more that will make you feel so refreshed. As always, everything has my stamp of approval and is available for a very exclusive price. I know you're going to love shopping with us. So I'm also giving Climbing in Heels listeners an additional 25% off your first purchase with code CLIMB25. C-L-I-M-B 25. So what are you waiting for? Head to curator.com. That's C-U-R-A-T-E-U-R.com and get started today. It was funny because Nicole and I used to joke because she would just try and torture me. She would literally just send me a picture of her in like her funniest, like free city sweats with like a baseball hat on that she bought in the airport with like a neck pillow. Uh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> as Nicole would. And it's funny. It's just, I think that ultimately, I think a lot of the girls kind of started to feel, I think they were sort of like, it's like anything else, you know, you get positive feedback, you start to feel more confident, right? Sure. So I think with my clients, I never worked based on what I was hired for or what I was paid for. I just kind of just did it because it made me happy to know that they were looking great all the time or they were feeling great all the time or they had outfits to go down the street for dinner or go to the airport or get off the plane or whatever. My theory about life is that, you know, every part of your life should be chic. Canon should be chic. And that doesn't mean wearing a ball gown and diamonds. It means like just look a little bit cuter because you'll feel that much better, you know? And listen, when you're in the public eye and you have paparazzi all over you and those pictures are plastered all over tabloids, people say they don't care, but a lot of people do care. And ultimately you're like, well, you're only human. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. That really started from you genuinely saying, this is really great. This looks great on you. Take it, wear it. Yeah. This wasn't some I wasn't hired Inside for it. Publicist manager no. saying, you no. got to clean up their no. image. You got to make them. That's nope. really interesting. Nope. It was just genuinely. And there was that. <laughs> there was that afterwards. Sure. Yes, there was. There was sure. that afterwards. Like help. Like 911. She has to look better off duty or she has to look better on and off duty or whatever. And I think ultimately it just became part of what it was for me. And I think for all of my clients, I just started to be like, Right. Off, you know, offline or online. I think this is, this is the vibe and they, and they loved it. Yeah. You know, exactly. But I think, I think part of that, to be honest, I think part of that was that traditionally stylists, it's a job, right? So you're like, okay, they need five looks, two premieres, three talk shows, blah, blah, blah. And like, bye. And that's it. And that's it. And I think what, what started to happen was when the off duty got as much attention as the, on the carpet, it started to just matter more. Right. You know, and that's when you yourself started to gain some attention for dressing these it girls. You started, people started to wonder who was behind these, these looks, these beautiful, well put together, like you said, on and off camera. Um, So that brings me to the Rachel's Oak project. So (laughs) how did that happen? This is your life. I mean, (sighs) it's true, but how did the Rachel Zoe project come about? Was that something you sought or was that something that came no. to you? It was something 
it's weird because it's all blurry because it seems like 400 years ago, but it wasn't. And there was a lot of sort of conversations and then sort of like definitely on the top of the list of the things I'd never do, like let a camera into my life, into my home, into my work, into my clients, you know, like just in the never will I do. There was this show called Style with Elsa Clench on CNN Style. And it was something that I worshipped as a teen. It was kind of my only way to sort of see fashion, right? And it's the only really thing that existed at that time. And it was every Saturday at 10.30 a.m., <laughs> And she was this incredibly chic woman who went and interviewed John Galliano and Karl Lagerfeld and John Paul Gaultier and all these incredible fashion heroes of mine. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be here. I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to talk to them. Yeah. I think being in the fashion world and then being sort of in Hollywood, there was such a separation between the two worlds and the fashion world really looked down at LA <laughs> Sure. Did not take it seriously. And I thought there was such style here and such flavor and such history of style and California style that like an ease, a, a very different style, very cool style. Definitely one that I related to. The sort of like Galanos, Halston sort of vibe was, right. was very here. And there's a lot of amazing California designers. Anyway, so I think for me, I wanted to somehow convey a bit of the fashion world to people, demystify it a little bit and sort of showcase the talent behind it. And somehow or another, I met with an amazing producer, Charlie Corwin. Mm -hmm. um, he was doing incredible docu like series and stuff like that. And another friend of mine, Jamie Patrickoff, and they were friends and they knew each other and whatever. And there was just a lot of conversations that kind of happened. And then next thing I know it was like, bravo. And at that point I was like, this is crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this. Like, there's no way I'm doing this. And it was funny because Roger was sort of like, what do you have to lose? Because at the time I was under a lot of very false narrative right. of gossip right. and not even a piece of one word of one thing was true. Right. I and think, wait, I think you should set the record straight. <laughs> there was a rumor going around. A rumor, 400. A million rumors. But wasn't one of them like you were giving <laughs> the actresses you were working with some sort of pill or drugs or something. <laughs> something. I was you like starving them. I was drug pushing or something. Drug pushing. I don't know. It was cocaine. It was horse pills. It was horse. Pills. It was horse pills, which I still to this day don't know what a horse pill actually is. There was multiple things. It was so insane. And it was so funny because I mean, as you know, Mary, I'm pretty, the pretty much the straightest person. Ever. Really? Like, I don't even take Advil. She's a snooze. Let's put it that way. You are like half a glass of wine at most. Exactly. So obviously and those rumors were not true and were ridiculous. And but there was a lot of fashion people that were also trying to kick me sure. down. A lot of industry people that really didn't want me to move forward in my career and in my life. And, and I think, um, you know, Roger was sort of like, look, like people are judging you without knowing you. So like, what do you have to lose? Right. Like at least this way, if they don't like you, at least they can justify why they don't like you. Right. right Cause exactly. you're not acting right. This yeah. is docu, this is reality. Right. Which it was. But I remember going to Bravo and then being like, we want to do this. I was like, I want to do this. I want to talk to all the designers and I want everyone to meet Karl Lagerfeld. And I want everyone to meet, you know, all these amazing Oscar de la Renta and Michael Kors and like all these amazing designers, Mark Jacobs, which they did. But I just remember them being like, yeah, they need more than that. Right. Like nobody's going to care about that. I was like, yes, they will. They're like, no, they You're won't. You're like, someone needs to slam a door. I don't know. <laughs> we didn't even have a name of it. And then, and then I remember on the first day, like the paper showed up to shoot the call sheet and it said the Rachel Zoe project. And we didn't have a name. And I just said, that's it. 
<laughs> that's the name. There you go. And, and literally that the that rest is history. Stuck. And five years later, that's, that was the show. So the not sh- five years later, like five minutes later, but right. four or five years. So the show premieres, it takes off in a big way. And again, it was on Bravo. Yep. Um, in a time before a lot of the other sort of reality franchises that are very popular today yep. had started, you were sort of really one of the first Bravo reality, yeah. reality yep. shows. Yep. I think Real World was the only thing out at that time right. that existed. In Road Rules and that sort of, yeah. that kind of duck yep. stuff. And there, I think Bravo had a few other shows, but they were not obviously fashion centric. Mm-hmm. How did your life change when you started to shoot the show? It was crazy because I was working 24 seven. I mean, I think I had, I don't even know how many clients I was working with at the time, but a lot. It was a lot. And they were like major, very prominent. Important. Yes. (laughs) Working, A-list, really amazing talents. Yes. And I only cared about my job. (laughs) I didn't have kids. So my job was my entire existence. I think for me, the challenge of the show was trying to shoot the show in the best, most real, organic way possible while still being really good at my actual job and not neglecting that and protecting that and not exposing too much, but still giving the viewers enough that they felt that they were in it. Because it's funny, even today, people are like, it's my favorite show, this part, this part, this part. And I love the part when we went into this, like and you did went this, to London or, and you did this. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, God, there's so much you didn't see in right, that moment, right, right. right? Yeah. Was it strange for you to have a job that was very behind the scenes in terms of no one brought their stylist to an award show? No one brought their stylist to any kind of public outing? To then go, the paparazzi is following you because now you are in front of the camera. What was that like for you? Awful. You didn't like that? (laughs) No, it's terrible. No, I actually hated it. It was really uncomfortable because I I don't mean to sound like woe is me. Like it was very nice that it's very nice that the media was recognizing hair and makeup and stylists because now they really recognize them. I really didn't like it because it was very uncomfortable for me. I'm someone who is actually naturally more comfortable behind the scenes, which I know sounds ironic now because I'm sort of in front and in back and in front and in back. But I think that I was sort of pulled in front a bit and I recognized that I had a TV show, which also puts you in front. But the weird thing is, is that I was doing the show to sort of showcase the behind. So it's a little, it's a little surreal all of it. It it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I would say that it was surreal and I was never, ever comfortable getting attention when I was with my clients. That was really uncomfortable for me. But you know, today is such a different thing because today- It's totally different I'm just watching the talent, I'm watching the actors just promote and advocate their stylists and pose for magazine covers and put them on social media. Like I wasn't even allowed to talk about my clients, let alone take pictures with them. Do you know what I mean? There was a handful that were- like incredibly supportive. Like Kate Hudson was the best. She was on my show. We had the best, still to this day, my favorite episode and my favorite scene in five years of the Rachel Zoe project was when we were in London together. And she was trying to convince me to have babies and go in the ocean. And I was like, well, what (laughs) should I do first? She was like, 
I don't know, both. And I, I think there's like those organic moments that in hindsight, I'm like so happy that they happened, you know? And I have amazing friends in the industry. But I guess my point is, is that like, that wasn't the intention, but I love the fact that people took so much away from the Rachel Zoe project to this day. Oh, you know, it's funny. You don't really go anywhere or post anything without somebody bringing up the Rachel Zoe project. No, I mean, no. it's how I know you. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, it's so nice that it had that impact on right. people's lives. Like in hindsight, like as hard and grueling as it was, and as insane as those years were, because I was doing like a hundred things and then the camera, you know, it was so much, but like in retrospect, you know, it really did a lot for my brand, you know, 100%. it did a lot for my business. And I love how much people took from it. I love how emotionally involved people got in it, you know, and, and still watch it. And now like another generation is watching it. Like Skylar's friends watch it. It's so crazy. Funny. Yeah. It's great. Skylar wants to watch it. And I'm like, dear God, no. <laughs> That's amazing. No. You have to let him watch it. I will. I will soon. He's almost old enough. I yeah. just, it's going to be really weird to, for him to see me in that regard. I guess so. Maybe he'll be shocked. Maybe he won't be. We should do like a, we should film him watching it. It'd be so oh funny. God. So talking about the show changed the trajectory of your career. Mm-hmm. You and Roger, the show is in, gosh, it's third season, maybe fourth. Uh-huh. And you and Roger decide to launch the Zoe Report. Uh-huh. So tell us about that. Where did that start? What was the idea behind that? I mean, that took off like a rocket it, it as well. Did. The, the Zoe Report I mean, at the time, the last thing I was going to do is start a magazine, right? Like a printed magazine because they already existed in such a big way, very successfully. So there were already fashion Bibles out there. And I think for me, I've always been about how to be relatable to as many women as possible. And I think it was really the brainchild of Roger. He really felt that there was a way that I could communicate. There had to be a better way that I could communicate and help as many women as possible. And he thought by doing a newsletter, you know, called the Zoe Report, that would be amazing. And it was just a, it started. Me, Roger, and one editor named Jessica Amento. And it started as a weekly, right? Uh Um, It was daily, I think. I think it was daily. Wow. And she wrote in my voice, I wrote... I would like rewrite and re-edit. Like it was so ma pa. Right. Like kettle. Like it yeah. was really just very like it was it was just very small. And I would talk about a trend. And, you know, I would be like, this is the version on the runway. And this is how you can do this at home for not ten thousand dollars, you know? And that was really it. It started with a trend. It started with style advice. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And then one day we had like a hundred employees or something. And it became this incredible fashion and beauty and pop culture kind of trend destination. It's doing so well today and, you know, run by BDG, Bessel Digital Group. And it's great. It's incredible. And it's like living on in the biggest and best way. And I'm so close to it and still so involved in it and so proud of it. Honestly, it's, it's so good. From, from a tiny operation to a massive media business. Me, Roger, and Jessica Mento. It's, isn't that fun? Writing, isn't writing that fun? one article. Which came first? Did your first book, Style A to Zoe, come before the Zoe Report? Yep. Or after? My book came first. I think my okay. first book, I want to say, was 2007. And the second one, I think, was 2012. 
That sounds right. Yeah. Something like that. I want to say. So you're still styling at this point. You're commanding a growing media business. (laughs) Yep. You're finishing the Rachel Zoe project. And you're about to become a mom. And I launch a clothing line. Right. 2011, just as Skylar was about to be born a month before. I was pregnant wearing like platform thigh high boots at my very first fashion show, the launch of my collection. As only you would. Well, that is going to tee up part three. Okay. So our listeners are going to have to come back. About to give birth to my first collection and my first child. She's nine months pregnant in thigh high stilettos. Come back for more. Thank you so much for listening to more of my story. And I hope you're inspired or at least entertained by my insane journey to where I am. If you want more Climbing in Heels content, follow me on at Rachel Zoe and at Climbing in Heels pod on Instagram for more updates on upcoming guests, episodes, and all things curator. I'll see you all next week. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.